0: Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it is time to go Inside Albany with Assemblywoman Marge Burns, who is here in studio with us as usual. Hello. How's your microphone doing there? Uh, we're going to find
1: out. Do I need it, to go a little bit higher here? Is it, is it fighting you? <laughs> How's like, that sound?
0: Uh, that's pretty good. All right. I think you'll be all right. <laughs>
1: Well, it's good to uh, see you again. It's been a while. Lots been happening. Yeah. And I'm glad to be down here and uh, fill you and our listeners in on some of the things going on around town.
0: This is the half year that you're uh, you're busy in Albany. You're actually there.
1: Yes. Um. Yeah. I, I'm there right now three days a week. Uh, uh, we are taping this right before the president's uh, week break. And uh, so I'll, I'll be home the week of the 19th catching up on things. But then as soon as we go back, it's uh, uh, all press for the budget and and then ultimately finishing up the session in uh, middle June. And there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of things that are going on and a lot of things that are affecting many yeah. people in our area.
0: A lot, a lot of wacky pressures that take place. With uh, I, I remember when we had a Republican governor, and the legislature did everything in their power to push that microphone away a little, just a little bit, a little bit. So, there so, we so, go. so you're not eating it. There you go. Yeah, okay. uh, you know, when Pataki was governor, you know they did everything they could to delay the the budget process until you know some one year it didn't get passed till August. I remember.
1: Yeah, that was long before me, but like last year, it's due on April 1st. Last year, it was two weeks, approximately two weeks late, and uh, we anticipate um, that this year, it may be just as late, or maybe even a little later, just purely the rumors that we're hearing from the Democratic side of the aisle, and every day after session is over, they go in and have their own private uh, conference meetings. Is that there's enough discussion and dispute as to where money should or shouldn't be spent that uh, it may take a while for them with their very divergent groups uh, that are part of their conference to actually work these issues out, especially with the Assembly, the Senate and the, uh, the executive branch.
0: What are these stumbling blocks that you anticipate? What are the issues that are going to be? Well, Uh, yeah,
1: Yeah, there's a lot of them, um, but, you know, some of the big ones are right now the governor and her executive budget proposed a massive change to what we call foundation aid for schools and what it – she, without consulting anybody apparently – changed how the formula was given and foundation aid is the largest group of aid that's given to all of our schools for help to help with operating expenses. So, I mean, this, that is the biggest hunk of aid that they get. It's called foundation aid. And when she reconfigured or the executive branch in their budget reconfigured how uh, money would be divvied up to the school's, Approximately fifty percent of the school districts in the state would get more money, and approximately fifty percent would get less well ironically, the ones Gosh. getting less tend to be the ones who 've lost population, the rural poor school districts and um, and they used to have uh, a policy. It was called Hold Harmless, where even if the current foundation aid formula resulted in a school district um, taking a reduction in a given year, there was a promise that they would at least get what they got the year before so that they had some assurance in developing a budget as to at least a base amount that they could count on for budgetary purposes. So, uh, so the governor has proposed getting rid of the hold harmless and, um, again, uh, configuring it in a way that some of our rural schools are hurt for, I'll tell you, I, I I'm not sure that there's any school district in my entire, uh, assembly district that's getting any money, but getting I can tell money, you, man. right. That's going to get more money, but off the top of my head, I can tell you that I remember the Kashiqua, Nunday, Dalton mm-hmm. area. Is, according to the governor's budget, it would lose over $650,000.
0: Was that based on population loss? Or Pop, the-
1: yeah, population loss. And there were a few other uh, mathematical configurations that worked in there, but it was population loss. Uh, the Honeyoy School District in the town of Richmond, $1.2 million. And the Perry School District over in Wyoming, again, right at about 650000 and a lot of them were within the one hundred to uh, $500,000 or $600,000 range in losses. And you just can't say, oh, uh, when we do our budget, uh, gee, we'll ask the taxpayers to make up that difference, you know, with a 2% tax cap on what you can do. Right. I mean, A, it just can happen. Um, Our rural districts couldn't support it anyway. And this is totally contrary to the way schools have always been funded, where they could guarantee that at least a base amount would be coming. Because while some of these school districts may have lost population, (laughs) for reasons we all know about and we talk about every day here, Uh but uh, it still has the same or more costs to run the school. If you've got Thirty people in a class, or you 've got fifteen or twenty in a class, you still need the teacher. You still need lunches. You still are paying for heat. You're still paying for the school buses. You're still paying for all the uh, operating expenses that are necessary, and it's uh, uh, or more, because with minimum wage, the school districts are telling me that that's another unfunded mandate with the requirement of the increased minimum wage. Um, that's nothing that's being helped out by the state. They're having to come up with that money themselves. So the school districts were hurting anyway, plus the electrification of school buses being forced on them.
0: Isn't that, uh, isn't, isn't that idea kind of unraveling, though? It, that's what I'm hearing in the news. I don't know if that's necessarily true in New York, but people are finding out, like you mentioned, how the buses have got to be parked 30 feet away from each other. Right. You know, it's going to take this massive amount of real estate to just park the dumb buses, what oh, the yeah. cost is going to be. Right. It's just not really a practical Uh,
1: Right. And and people are starting to recognize it. Like I said, the cost now is like minimum four hundred and fifty thousand per bus. That's insane. Uh, The biggest manufacturer in the country right now has filed for bankruptcy so that even if you order one, you have no idea when the delivery is going to be. But yet the the state still has a drop dead date for converting and to beginning the conversion process. And I think it's—I uh, want to say 2027. I could be off by a year I, on that. For the initial, any new buses having to be electric, and by 2035, any bus you have, no matter what it is, will have to be electric, even if it's still within its uh, lifespan of operation even as that, a diesel.
0: None of it will happen. It's not going to happen. Wait. Right. So the I, state. I predict. Yeah. So February the February 2024, folks.
1: I know, but the meantime, the schools. Uh, are, are forced to try to make decisions based upon the mandates that exist. Now, a year ago, the state decided to hold off on converting the state fleet because they knew they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we argued on the floor, if you're doing this for the state fleet right now, let's do this for the mandatory school buses so that we take that burden off. We do a cost-benefit analysis to determine an appropriate time frame for bringing it into place, uh, if it can be. And no, not interested, they don't want that. So right now, our school districts are, are, are really in a box because as much as we know in our hearts of hearts that at one point they're going to have to back off, in the meantime, the schools are being forced to make decisions based upon the laws that currently exist.
0: Well, you know, there's so much wrong with this, it's hard to know where to start. But I mean, first of all, why is the, why is the executive, the, the governor of the state, getting involved in school budgeting minutiae? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, first of all, that should be, it, it should be a routine thing that's handled by the legislature. And if you thought about it, you could come up with some kind of, the, you know, look, it doesn't make any sense to just keep the school districts at the same funding level, whatever that term was. If there's been a big population loss, like how about Keshaqua or Letchworth it's called now, uh, I guess uh, – Why? There should be a, like a benchmark that says, here's how you budget based upon your population. Right. So right at the at the get-go, the school districts get an idea of how much money that they're going to have to work with.
1: Absolutely. And that's most of the thing is being able to plan because right now, while um, – the the school districts are putting together their budgets. They have to be approved by the school boards. There has to be a public notice period before people vote on their school budgets. And um, all of that's being done now while the state budget, even if they change this foundation aid, which we hope happens, it may not happen in time for them to uh, be able to plan appropriately for this budget cycle. You know, especially if the budget comes in late. So it's um, uh, one thing that uh, the, the Republican conference for years has requested, and I know that it would change things with the schools, as you mentioned, but it's like, let's do, again, throughout the entire state, let's do public hearings where uh, uh, involving the schools where all of the stakeholders are present, both in urban, rural schools, let's get everybody involved in, and let's try to find out A formula that is realistic and that can work and that at least the schools can count on so that they don't have this situation.
0: Right. Because,
1: again, you need to know what you're doing for planning purposes. And what I heard that even before this was proposed – Is school districts that have more money, like up in Monroe County, uh, can hire, even if there's a school district down in my district that is looking at a great prospect, then all of a sudden Monroe County wants to hire them at 10 or $15,000 more Mm. to do the same job. So obviously they go up to the school district. And you can't blame them either. Everybody's, you know, trying to support their own family. and But they're going to the place that has more money, and then the poorer school districts uh, are lacking in um, qualified
0: applicants. They're getting raided, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind well, of
1: a it's a bizarre little Hunger Games going on among the school districts. Well, yeah,
0: the, the Hunger Games has been the model since Andrew Cuomo. I mean, he, he loves pitting us all against each other to – You know, try to win – like those economic development districts, what a disastrous idea that was. The whole state should be an economic development district.
1: Yeah, well, yes, it should be. Uh, I've got – I have what I think is a wonderful story about hypocrisy. Go for it. I know this is hard to understand that anything in our state government could be uh, involve, involve that word, but uh, I had this what I thought was a really great bill. It was called the Solar Panel Collection Act, and it would require that if you put up solar panels, uh, and there was and Senator O'Mara uh, also had a bill that would require the same thing for um, wind turbines. And we've talked about the dead wooden turbines along the road in Bath for a while now.
0: They've cleaned those up. They're, they're gone. Have they? They've disappeared.
1: I think they buried them.
0: Well, that was ultimately <laughs> what they were going to do with them anyway, yeah. right? But, I, mean, I think they cut them into wonder...
1: somewhat smaller pieces and buried them.
0: I, we, After we took those pictures, Jay and I did, and we put them on a, the station website yeah. and publicized it, I wonder if that got somebody's attention and they said, we got to uh, – What's wrong with it? We stowed all these things right next to a busy interstate. Where we could all look at them. Take pictures.
1: (laughs) So anyway, Senator O'Mara with wind turbines, myself with solar panels, we basically had uh, proposed legislation that indicated that if you put them up, that either when they broke or um, were uh, decommissioned, you had to be capable of recycling them so that they didn't end end up in the, uh, the landmills. Uh, which is actually uh, happening out even in California. So my bill was laid aside, which means the bill was killed in committee. It was not allowed to come up for a vote. It was um, just pushed aside, not even allowed to come up uh, for a fair vote within the committee. And so laying it aside effectively means the bill was killed. it
0: doesn't fit the narrative. That's the
1: problem. Yeah. Or at least it didn't fit the narrative with my name with with an R next to it.
0: Well, that – a measure like that would never have a D next to it. I can assure you of that.
1: Well, although now the state DEC has uh, uh, come out with a new comprehensive plan on how to achieve a goal of eighty-five percent of re- that things can be recycled, including including solar panels, wind turbines, and a lot of other things, also.
0: Good luck with that. I don't think there's any can way be, to recycle some of that stuff. Yeah,
1: can be done by by 20 uh, by 2050, but they're looking at 85% of anything potentially recyclable to be recycled by 2050, including uh, solar panels and wind turbines. So I'm like, okay, so my bill was killed in committee, not even allowed to come up to a vote. And now the state DEC in its comprehensive plan is saying we need to recycle well, solar panels for, for, and wind
0: turbines. First of all, your plan would have actually mandated the recycling of this stuff as if that were possible. Their plan doesn't do anything of the sort. What They have another one of these kick-the-can-down-the-road type measures where all they do is they, they say that, you know, like 25 years from now when we're all mostly going to be dead and nobody will even remember this dopey law, that's, that's the finish line for this whole thing. And it just never happens. Mm-hmm. It just dwindles away and everybody forgets about it. It's just that this is another way that they govern. They govern in the future
1: yeah it but it was it was ironic, and obviously I took note when I, uh, when I saw that report come out. It's like OmG yeah. Hey, look, um, one of the important things we've been talking about in Albany this week too, and we, we've had a couple press conferences, the Republican conference, is about the problems of migrants in our state. The continuing and ongoing problem of migrants. And one of the issues that was discussed was the fact that um, while we talk about the southern border, um, people need to understand also that we are a border state and that more and more uh, illegal immigrants are crossing through from Canada. And um, I think it's gone up like 300 percent in the last year or so. And um, so this is also a problem where we have hundreds and thousands of people in our state that we don't even know who they are, where they've come from, what their intentions are.
0: Real quick before we leave Canada, uh, did you get the news story this week about the uh, um, – Trudeau is inviting in, I don't know, thousands upon thousands of Gazans.
1: Yeah, I did hear that.
0: You know, you think some of those uh, these people are not friends of the United States as a general rule. No. Uh, and how many of those do you think we're going to are going to be leaking southward?
1: Of, of course. And uh, again, uh, you know, the the uh, Canadian border in the United States in this in New York State and, and in other states is the most porous. It's way more porous than it is down at the southern border. And um you know, and and we still in our state, we don't allow, much to my dismay, we do not allow uh, uh, law enforcement in the courts to cooperate with the federal government in ICE. I'm not sure if people realize that our law enforcement is barred from telling anybody in the federal government when they have an illegal immigrant who's been arrested what their immigration status is. Um, They're barred from even going into courtrooms. ISIS in order to try to find out on their own what's going on. There have been cases where people have illegal immigrants after their court appearances have been taken out the back doors to avoid Uh, federal authorities at the front door trying to look for them. So, you know, we have to, we have to get back, especially, you know, It's come up with the officers that were attacked and beaten up in New York City recently. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, it's amplified it even more, the need for law enforcement to be able to cooperate with the federal government in order to ensure that we all have the same information and all cooperate with each other. Everybody should operate under the same standards. And there's no reason why people that are illegal immigrants get a step up on violating the laws over uh, our citizens. You know, just as a quick aside, one of the things that was done by our state in order to defeat our federal government and the immigration laws— is at this point it's probably been 2 or 3 years but they made it so that if you serve if you're sentenced to serve a year in jail in New York state that equals uh 364 days not 365 days the reason was because the federal laws refer to someone sentenced to a year in jail being subject to deportation so we we, we being our state not me made uh, one year equal 364 days, mm-hmm. not a year, yeah. in order to prevent somebody who was basically sentenced to a year from jail from being subject to deportation. And to evade this the, the, the purport so of federal hard. laws.
0: It's, it, yeah, it, it's, uh, and and then, then they wring their hands over the problems that uh, this influx of illegal aliens are creating.
1: Well, right now in the budget, they plan, just in, in the executive budget, they plan on setting aside $2.4 billion this year for the illegal immigrants. Last year, they put aside a billion. It ended up being 1.9 by the time the year was over. So now that they are aiming at 2.4, what are we really talking about in real money by the time the year is over? Four, five, six billion dollars, you know, all the people in our area who are working at, um, uh, as direct care workers in the health care industry who have been struggling, who have been promised, uh, decent wages and are, are working for practically nothing. Um, the people who are on Medicaid, 39% of the citizens in our state are on Medicaid. You know, there are so, our veterans, just about every group of lawful, Citizens who have tried to residents who have tried their best to be good, hardworking people, and are cut short, um, and, and you know by uh, by our taxes, by our regulations, they're the people that should be getting that two point four billion to help out with their lives before we give it away to uh, to the illegals.
0: Well, Mayor Adams in New York City was budgeting six point four billion for the city. Or at least that's what he was going to go and ask the feds for help with.
1: Well, and he's begging it from the, uh, from the state
0: government, too. Right. And, and if you think that's not going to have an impact on our quality of life here in New York State, you're kidding yourself.
1: Well, the direct correlation, if people want to know, put it in real terms of real money, that same pot of money that the $2.4 billion or whatever it becomes after the final budget is finalized, because it'll be something and it'll be big, that money – is coming out of the same general fund as your school aid. So while you're looking at your schools getting cut, that is money directly that is going to the illegal aliens.
0: And then, then of course, the, the sociological problems are presented, which is, what are we going to do with these people? Where are they going to live? How are they going to support themselves? Is this going to be a perpetual obligation now to support them?
1: Well, the governor said in her state of the state that she did not see any um, any end in sight to this problem.
0: No, no end in but sight to you, the spending. In,
1: and, yeah, well, and to the number of people that are coming, that there was just absolutely no end in sight. Because well, that's, that's great leadership. But they, Thank but they you. keep inviting them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, they and flowing across the border.
1: And while we uh, have a huge problem with Medicaid budget in our state right now, uh, and it has issues, and we might be losing nursing homes because the Medicaid reimbursement and Medicaid is is a huge part of our budget. I'm not minimizing that either, but the Medicaid reimbursement rate to nursing homes is doesn't even cover what the cost is for a person to stay for one night. Um, the, you know, there, there's a huge gap, but. Um, We keep adding people on. Um, The illegal immigrants um, um, all have a right to emergency services. If they go to a hospital, they can be treated at the emergency department without anybody asking um, their legal status. And even if they don't have Medicaid, Medicaid will pick up the cost.
0: That's their primary care physician.
1: Yes. And their children, um, women who are pregnant. Not that I want people not to have health services, but these are all costs going on to our our Medicaid bills. And in January of this year, they also added anybody who's here illegally who is 65 or older automatically now will have full Medicaid. So, um, you know, the more we keep adding... Uh, individuals on and it only gets added to not subtracted from only compounds the problem that already exists. We need to prioritize.
0: Yeah. If if you've been in an emergency room lately, or if you've been in a nursing home lately, our healthcare, uh, you know, people are in distress.
1: Yeah. My dad's been in uh, a number of nursing homes and rehab centers in the last few years. And, uh, yeah, I. it's just, it's sad. Right now he's, um, and hopefully he'll get better, but right now he's over in the Newark hospital. And uh, they asked to go there because the quality of care is so much better over in Newark than it is in the city of Rochester at any of the hospitals.
0: Yeah, my mother-in-law is in Maplewood, and the you know the people there are terrific. It's a great staff, but they are so overworked. They've been working double shifts since forever. Sure. They have to... Kind of like rotate them around to lower impact places so they don't get totally burned out. Uh, but this has got to stop. I mean, we can't we can't constantly keep throwing more logs on the fire here. Right,
1: and that's what's happening. That is it. What's happening? A um, couple of things. Couple of things I want to talk about, uh, unrelated, but, uh, if anybody is interested, on March 7th, I'm doing another Women in Ag event in Avon, and you can find it through my Facebook or by calling my office. You have to register in advance. We have room for up to 100 women, all involved in the agriculture field. Doesn't matter if you're a farmer, supply seeds, you know, whatever your role in agriculture is, we, we encourage everyone to come out. You can give a Call, call to my office again at uh, 585-218-0038 for details on how to register. And also um, on uh, this weekend, and I know this is going to be playing for the month, but but on February 24th, uh, over at the Perry Library, from 10 to 1, I'm going to be doing visiting office hours, and anybody in the area, in Perry or otherwise, is welcome to stop by, and I'll have my chief of staff with me, and we'll be able to uh, immediately contact liaisons uh with government offices so that we can help anybody out who has any issue with state government. And if the issue isn't with state government, we can contact our our congresswoman and we can make sure that people are taken care of and gotten to the right source. Nice. So we're doing a lot of community outreach right now on top of the uh, the Albany stuff. And again, most of the uh, important work we do is... uh, it's certainly not exclusively, but it's constituent services, and we work for everyone, irrespective of your political affiliation, your constituent, your friend. We do everything we can to help you.
0: That's fantastic. Marge Burns on the road, ladies and gentlemen. And that's in Perry. Again, one? one.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, it's it's this Saturday, February 24th, from 10 a.m. till 1 in the afternoon. I know some people will be listening to this after that date. But uh, at the Perry Library. And, uh, you know, we look forward to doing that. And, again, call us about the Women in Ag on March 7th. We'd like to get – last year we had 70 people there and filled up the room. This year, we've made arrangements to be able to accommodate 100, and we want to fill up the room there, too.
0: Thanks, thanks. Appreciate the visit here, Assemblywoman Marge Burns. And you've been listening to Inside Albany with Marge Burns, a paid political program. And we'll see you next time on the WYSL Stations.